Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. It's sometimes too easy for us to compartmentalize our faith according to certain societal norms or standards. And Jesus always challenges those. Well, today we're going to encounter a segment of our community of which our Christian faith requires our attention. Even though the widow or orphan may go unseen by our world, our Heavenly Father sees them and encourages us to learn to see like he does. Thanks for listening. There's a little saying that I learned in grade school. Maybe you remember it as well. It goes like this. Monkey see, monkey. Yeah, you know it. That's right. Yeah, and this was always seen when we were small because, of course, that's what little kids do. They mimic, right? They do what you do, and even scarier, they say what you say. I remember there was a sanctified cuss word that I learned. Uh, it's kind of a Midwestern word. Don't worry, I'll tell you what it is. This is church, but we'll get to it. Um, it comes, uh, I remember my, my uncles would hear it. I'd hear it around family gatherings. My grandma would say it, and if grandma says it, it's probably okay for church. Uh, it's, have you ever heard this word before? Cripes? Have you ever heard that before? Yeah, so I, yeah, it's kind of a Midwestern term. I, until yesterday, did not know what that meant. I had to look it up because I thought of it as an illustration for this. Do you know what it, do you know what it, it's a stand-in word for Christ. Did you know that? Cripes. It's a way of softening the blaspheming of God's name. So that's a little convicting for us this morning, isn't it? Well, I remember being a little kid hearing this and then saying it. I very quickly was reprimanded uh, by my parents that I was not allowed to say that word. What a scary thing, isn't it? To all of the things that our kids are listening to, that they're picking up on. And hopefully you know that as a parent, it's not just that they would learn in some formal robotic sense to repeat the things you say or to do the things that you do. For We actually have a higher calling as parents and grandparents and loved ones for those who learn monkey see, monkey do, right? Because we want them to learn how to think the way we think. We want them to learn how to make sense of the things that we face. In fact, we want to pass on to them our values so that it's not just a repetition like them parroting back the same things that we say or do, but that they actually can make those decisions on their own, having been given those same values so that the imitation of their parents doesn't come from some rote form of repetition, but it is actually an investment in what matters their values, and who they know they are. Do you know that God wants to do the same thing for you? He does. Monkey see, monkey do is not just for little kids. It's for Christians. And it's for Christians uniquely given by God's mercy to receive the third person of the Trinity. That it's the work of the Holy Spirit within us that therefore changes us from the inside out. That true transformation looks like those who don't just do what they see, but learn how to see what God sees. This morning, we're in our second uh, um, uh, set in our series on what what does it mean to live with Jesus? What, What does it mean to carry King Jesus with us everywhere we go. And and as we're going to look over many different spheres of this over our study for 2023, we're in the sphere of our own community today. Today's subject 
is one that's a difficult one. It's one that I hope the Spirit of God begins to engender a greater conviction and therefore vision for how you can model what it looks like to live alongside King Jesus when it comes to a particular category in our community. There are many who have been cast to the corners and to the shadows. They are, in accordance with our society, some who are not regularly seen. They're not regularly visited. In fact, COVID made it all the harder to visit those who are shut in and those who are in assisted care or those who are in nursing homes. The the scriptures will speak throughout the Old Testament and including in the New that there's a particular nuance of those characterizing their lives after God's rule who will learn to see those who God sees. And so the subject of our study this morning is going to be found landing particularly in a single verse out of James's epistle. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me now. You and I today are going to hopefully be able to learn to see the pattern that God would offer to his followers of being able to both see what he sees, therefore carry the values he has, and then follow through in obedience such that our actions would be modeled after God's own actions. James chapter 1, just one single verse for this morning, and then we'll build some context around it. Verse 27, James writes this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from becoming polluted by the world. That, that'll, be, um, that'll, that'll be a plateful for you this morning, right? That, that, that's enough to feast on for us today. That, that is enough just to bring us to the point of saying, yes, God, why, we need help with this. So to unpack this a little bit, a few terms that are used here. Uh, the word pure and faultless that you'll find in verse 27 is a reference onto the characteristic of the Old Testament sacrifices. In fact, it's the same word used to refer to those who are ceremonially able to come before God's presence. The word that we might see repeated here, the same word, but used in the Old Testament is the word clean. You're familiar with those terms, clean and unclean? That there were certain things that you, uh, as a worshiper of God, needed to make sure were not a characteristic of your life, or if they were, you were deemed unclean. And so you needed to make sure that you were presentable in a way that the purity and holiness of God would not destroy you in your sin. You needed to be pure or clean. That's the exact same word that's used here. Describing something that for the most part, at least in my life, maybe in yours as well, I prefer not to use. There's a word in here that I don't particularly like. Do you know what that word is? It's the word religion. How do you feel about religion? As long as I've been in evangelical circles or classes, the term that we've always replaced it with is relationship, right? God doesn't care about religion. He cares about a relationship with you. No amens on that? I thought I'd get a couple by now. Okay, thank you. That's right. And yet that's the word that's used here. In fact, it's not only used just here. It's used earlier in James's letter. Look at verse 26. If anyone considers himself religious, And yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue. He deceives himself and his religion is worthless. 
So there, there is a kind, a characteristic of faith and belief that we ascribe to. Um, a, a set of understandings that have been passed down to us by those who received it from Jesus. Do you, do you know what we call that? We characterize that faith as a religion. The word here, the term that we're paying attention to, refers to uh, religious expression. Religious expression. And so what's your religion today? Hopefully it's not secularism. Hopefully not humanism, selfishness. Hopefully it's not any of the other either monotheistic or polytheistic religions available. We are what? We are called Christians. And so our religion is Christianity. For us this morning to see how we might be able to pattern our own vision of seeing what God sees in the scope of walking with him in our community, we're going to put... Christianity on trial today. That's what we're going to do. We're going to examine our religion. You are, you are this morning tasked with giving reflection over your Christianity. And so a few observations to, to highlight out of this text uh, that we've been looking at. First off is this. Christianity, this is your religion, Christianity is all about imitating Jesus. That is what our faith is all about. The, the whole thing. And, and you know what? I, get really, I feel like I want to get really preachy on this, but I almost feel like I need to pause first at the beginning because I think it's easy for some of us to think that our religion is all about getting saved. Now, I don't want to diminish salvation. In fact, that's what we need, right? To, to be in a reconciled relationship with God is for us both the present transformation of our hope, but a hope that will only see its fulfillment in the culmination of resurrection. And so we are both saved in the past, we are currently, through God's sanctifying work, being saved right now, and we, future, will be saved one day. But you know, that's not what your faith is all about. If we were to take a, a step back, maybe from some of our own evangelical traditions or, or, or the ways in which we've thought about how our faith is expressed. And just look at the Bible. Just look at the scriptures. What you will see is that time after time after time, the attitude of vision that's offered to the Christ follower isn't to just place all of your emphasis on one day being saved, but it's that God wants to use you right now. He wants to transform you right now such that you would look like Jesus. I, I want to show you where God's word lays this. Out. I mean, and I'm leaving off the majority. 33 times in the New Testament, you can find this showing up. But in Ephesians 5.1, here's the call. Therefore, be what of God? An imitator of God. Help me out again. Monkey see, monkey what? Yeah, that's right. You are to be imitating God as dearly loved children. Look at Jesus' own words in Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Who's that sound like? Did Jesus deny himself? Yes. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that being seen in equality with God was not something that Jesus continued to hold on to. Instead, he emptied himself by the pouring out of the divine into one now wrapped in flesh. Not by the debasement of any of his divine qualities, but with the addition of humanity to Jesus. He denies himself. 
He empties himself. This is the call to you. Be like Jesus. And then Jesus takes up the cross. What does he call you to do? To, to come, come, come and die. Anyone want to come and die today? You don't hear that message very often as an invitation for Christians in the church. Nevertheless, that's exactly who we are called to look and emulate and imitate. And then follow me. A couple more. John 13. Uh, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down, he said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, uh, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. 1 Peter 2.21, to this you were called, context here is suffering for Peter, to this you were called because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Another simple one from 1 John 2.6, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. I want to submit to you this morning that your religion should should be understood by you as a reorienting and patterning of all of my life to learn to look like Jesus. And I also want to say, as much as we're able to get on board with that, do not confuse that with what the secular world has come to caricature Jesus to look like. As though Jesus were just some loving, kind, happy-go-lucky uncle that was always loving everybody. Because sometimes what it means to deny yourself is going to be to stand in confrontation of those who live apart from God's glory and will. And so just to make sure we're clear, what it means to emulate Jesus is not to find ourselves knit perfectly into the culture that wants to have it your way, have it their way, but to be willing to go to come and to die in following Jesus. In fact, the very first time that we see an insult given to those Christians. Christians who were willing to take a stand. It's found in the book of Acts. Look at this in chapter 11. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, you and I, we totally miss the insult there because... We've learned Christian as a term that's fully accepted and redefined by our world and culture and vocabulary. But do you know what it meant back then? Christian in Greek means little Christ. That's what it means. And those, uh, those Gentiles and even Jews who would persecute the church in and around Antioch, they looked at these followers of the Nazarene, followers of Jesus, of which before this time, they characterized themselves by saying, we follow the way. That's what they characterized, this, this new way of living. They just said, we follow the way. It was, it was in Antioch. For the first time, the watching world around these who were so bold to stand up for their faith gave them this insulting title, little Christ. You're just a little Christ. What a badge of honor to be seen in so emulating my Savior that I could be labeled as a little Christ as a follower of Christ. Because your religion, Christianity, is all about imitating Jesus. Learning to 
to think and to see and to act and to speak like Jesus. Now, are you guys with me on this? Because I, I don't want to ruin everybody that I'm not all about salvation as well, or I'm all about doctrine. I absolutely am. But I think there is a higher calling of what it means to live as a Christian. And there are far too many, both in churches and in the world, who think it's just a kind of fire insurance. Right? I just prayed a prayer and that's all it was. And there's nothing more that will ever come or be required of me in my following of Jesus because I did this one thing one time in the past. Oh, there's such a higher calling. God wants to use you right now, wherever he has rooted you, wherever he's plated, placed you, that you would be Jesus to those people. And so your faith, my faith, your religion, my religion, your Christianity, my Christianity is all about learning how to imitate Jesus. Secondly, Christianity that does not evidence imitation of Jesus is worthless. So whatever Christianity that you have inherited, adopted, learned, whatever version of the faith has been passed on or modeled to you, if it does not in your own life learn uh, evidence to see Jesus modeled by your words and actions, guess what your religion is? worthless. If it doesn't imitate Jesus properly, it, it, it has no purpose at all. It's completely worthless. Um, if, you, if you look with me here, 1 John chapter 2, John says, anyone who claims to be in the light, there you go, there's your religion. What's my religion? I'm in the light. I know Jesus. I know God. I fear God. But you hate your brother? Oh, you no longer imitate Jesus now. John's conclusion is, you're not in the light. You can claim that all day long. Oh, I got baptized when I was this old. Oh, I give this much money. I go to church every... You could claim living in the light all day long. But if your actions are not imitating, according to John, where are you? In light or in darkness? Anyone who loves their brother lives in the light and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. The call of our faith is to imitate Jesus. And any version of religion that doesn't evidence this in our life, it's worthless. It's a false imitation. Do you guys know what this is? Not real butter. What is it? Imitation butter, right? It's supposed to, supposed to taste like and look like and spread like real butter, though itself is not real butter. Well, uh, I was going through our freezer this past week, Emily and I, and we found one of these. Um, and on the top was labeled turkey drippings. <laughs> now, imagine nobody looked at the label. Imagine I got a beautiful slice of bread all ready for butter. And I dip my knife into turkey drippings. Spread it all over and take a bite. What, what, what have I just done to this valued, beautiful bread? What have I just done to it? I have made it worthless. It, do, it, it's not, it doesn't at all taste like what it's supposed to taste like. It, it, is, a, it is not even an imitation that's properly made. Look with me again in God's word, verse 26. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself. Boy, that's dangerous, isn't it? Self-deception. Oh, I, I'm good. I'm good with God. I'm good with God because I did. 
but your tongue is continually disproving any true intimacy transformation. Imitation with God. What does it say about your religion? Your religion is worthless. There's an example of this that Jesus encounters because this was the case of the Pharisees. This was the case of those who thought they were holy and righteous. They had decided for themselves that we have all of these little ways in which our religion is seen as just just perfect, just exactly the way it should be. And that's what the Pharisees wanted to hold everybody else accountable to. This from Mark chapter 7. Jesus says, you have let go of the commands of God and you're holding on to human traditions. And he continued. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father and mother will be put to death. But you say, if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is now Corbin, that was a particular category of income that could be set aside. You might think of it similar to a tithe. It means that this money is now devoted to God. It no longer belongs to me. It belongs to God. It's kind of, in a, in a sense, like a tax write-off. You could think of it similarly as we have in our day. He says, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition. You have handed down and you do many things like that. Did they think they were righteous? Yes or no? Yeah. Yeah. Did they think their Christianity had value? Yes or no? Yeah. It did. Jesus says, that's just man's tradition. You're not obeying God. You, you don't look like God. There's no evidence of imitation of who God is in your religion. And so Christianity that does not evidence an imitation of Jesus, it is worthless. Now, Almost need to just everybody take a, take a breath. All right, because, yeah, th- this may be for some of us in here a little eye-opening to think of what I thought religion was. What did I think Christianity has all been about? And I would hate for you to be somebody who can leave today continuing to be in any way self-deceived because you have continued in a human tradition, because you've done whatever structural element you learned or passed down or that we even practice today without ever being challenged. To look like Jesus. I don't, I don't ever want it to say that our Christianity is worthless. Thirdly, look at this one. The problem isn't with Christianity. It's with the user. This is an important one when you're dealing with atheists or anybody who wants to denigrate followers of Jesus Christ. Because they'll say, the reason why your religion doesn't work is because of your religion. Right? Have you ever heard that before? That somebody wants to say, you, you Christians, you aren't nothing but a bunch of... Oh, you all talk to the same people. Okay, yeah. A bunch of hypocrites. It it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I I submit to you, it's not a problem with Christianity. It's not a problem with the religion. It's actually a problem with the user, the end user, you and I in this case. Look with me back in our text. Just bump up a little bit back to verse 22. James 1, 22. Eyes back on the page. This is what James says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. The problem is not with 
the religion. And this religion being the one who has instituted it, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's not where the problem is. It's in those of us who would just listen. Yeah, the pastor's getting a little long today. Yeah, all right. I'm just listening. Oh, I heard you. I heard you, right? And if that's all it is, if that's all it is, James says, you're like somebody who just looks at yourself in a mirror and then forgets. You just forget everything that was there. Um, when I was in school, I got to a place of exhaustion because there's a lot of school you can go through. And I remember one of the classes I was taking my senior year, I was just there to get the credit. I was just there to like do my time, get the thing put on my transcript so I could be done. You tell me, how much value did that class have in my life? Because, because I heard everything, but I didn't do any of it. I wasn't truly listening. And so the problem wasn't the class. The problem was with who? The problem was with me. I submit to you that's the same thing that we struggle with. This is what James is teaching us right now, that if we're just hearers, we don't ever do it. Well, then you're only a monkey see, right? Monkey see, but you're never a monkey do. Fourthly, lastly, correct imitation of Jesus will see the unseen. Now, there's a lot I could put at the end of this sentence, right? When we correctly imitate who Jesus is, boy, there's a lot that can be said, right? We, we learn maybe foremost how to forgive, if you don't forgive, well, you certainly don't look like Jesus. Right? We, we could put in here um, any form of relational reconciliation that's pursued. Because that's what it means to look like Jesus. We could put willingness to die for truth. Because that's what it means to look like Jesus. But the reason why we have in here, you will see those who are unseen, is because that's what James says. Look with me again in verse 27. Religion that our Father accepts. So accept meaning it can come into his presence. The type of faith that can be received by the holiness of God is this kind. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Church, I want you to know, you couldn't before, but you certainly can't after today. You and I cannot go through life thinking that we're in the light, following Jesus, and all the while ignoring and continuing to cast into the shadows those who have affliction and those who are hurting. I want you to know, first of all, that widows and orphans are not the prime category that James is referring to. This is a, a, it's a bit of a figure of speech that is used throughout the Old Testament to refer to those who are and have received hardship and affliction based upon nothing that they've done. No choice or effort upon the orphan makes an orphan. No effort or choice based upon the widow makes somebody a widow. And so we're talking here about a category of humanity. A category of which throughout the Old Testament, those who knew and followed Jesus were continually commanded to show love and to show, for, show care for. In fact, we are told this is exactly the characteristic of God Almighty. That God himself is a father to the fatherless. And that he cares for the widow. God sees what we miss. 
Uh, look at this example of that. This is from Luke's Gospel. You, you might remember the story. John's disciples. We heard about those from Rosanna this morning. John the Baptist had those who were following, looking for now this coming kingdom of God. Now, John's disciples and many of the Jews were looking for someone who was going to come as this mighty warrior. Not sure John himself thought that, but this was a contemporary picture of what the Jews thought the Messiah would look like. And so John's disciples come to Jesus. Uh, it says, John's disciples told him about all these things, calling two of them. He sent them, uh, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? They weren't seeing what they wanted to see. The Jews weren't seeing the Messiah that they were hoping to find. When the men came to Jesus, they asked, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, evil spirits, gave sight to those who were blind. And so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. Let's check out this mighty Messiah here. You ready? What is it that God sees? Where is God finding his time, effort, and attention being given? The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. This is the category of those who have received affliction and hardship in this life. Not based upon anything that they've done. But who are needing to see the mercy and the love of God demonstrated by those who imitate I want you to see the categories uh, as they're shown throughout the Old Testament. Just a few verses, and then we're going to wrap up. Uh, Psalm 110. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. We miss it. In fact, we can tune them out. We can shut them away in places where we don't have to deal with them. They're out of sight. They're in the shadows. But who hears? Who hears? Not a trick question. The Lord hears. You encourage them. You listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. God sees. God knows. I, I had a whole list of verses here that I, I just didn't put up on the screen. Exodus twenty twenty two. You must not afflict any widow or, or orphan. Deuteronomy twenty four twenty one. When you gather grapes in your vineyard, you must not do so a second time. They should go to the resident foreigner, orphan, and widow. Psalm 146, 9. The Lord protects the resident foreigner. He lifts up the fatherless and the widow, but he opposes the wicked. It's really just for sake of time that we don't go through every example in the Old Testament that shows us this category because that's what I need to proclaim to us today. An effort to do, do right and do justice by James's understanding of the gospel. You cannot be the kind of Christian that just hears but never does. You can't. It's worthless. That's worthless religion. The kind of religion that God wants to see evidence in our life is the kind that imitates our Savior. And it's our Savior who sees those who are unseen. And so what do you do with this? Well, here's our this is my challenge to you this morning. I want you to see. You have in your sermon notes two blanks there. Put your name in the first one. If I were filling it out, the application of this message is, Ryan, you need to see. Ryan needs to see. What is it I need to see? Well, I need to define my faith. I need to define Christianity by the character of God's character. I need to see it through his eyes. A few things I want you to know if you do this correctly. Number one, God sees what nobody else sees. That'll keep you up at night. God sees 
what nobody else sees. I want you to know there's great hope in this as well. Do not fall prey to the very materialistic or consumer form of Christianity that says, well, I'll go ahead and volunteer to come and help clean the church as long as someone gives me some accolade of it, as long as they recognize me for that, as long as they know I did it. Hold on, that's not why you do it. Who sees? God sees. So do not have a form of Christianity that does things only to be seen. In fact, we have this from John 12. Jesus says, yet at the same time, many among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Why? For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. If, If you and I are going to see, first thing you need to know is that God sees what nobody else sees. He's watching even when nobody else is watching. And do not let the fear or the praise of man determine your actions because that religion is worthless. And then lastly on this, you need to learn to see what God sees. You need to learn to see what it is that God sees. I'm really thankful for this church because I could name person after person after person after person who I know I know experientially and personally I've worked alongside you where you have given of your own time, you've given of your own money and resources. When you hear that somebody's in need, you are right there to help. I'm so thankful that that is a predominant characteristic of our church. This needs to be seen for all of us though, to know that that's what religion truly looks like. The kind that has value is the kind that imitates Jesus. And the only way you'll imitate Jesus is when you learn to see the unseen, when you learn to see those it seems like our society wants to tuck away in the corners, but God sees. Now, if you're, if you're pretty keen this morning, what do, you think, what do you think the second application here is? Don't just see, but what? Good. That's it. So write your name in the blank. And instead of the word monkey, it's Ryan C. Ryan do. That, that's it. It's as simple as that. Whatever the transforming understanding by God's spirit within you causes you to now see those who are unseen. Don't just see it and walk away. Do it. Be the emissary ambassador, representative of God on his behalf to serve as his hands and his feet right here and now. Go and do it. Don't just see it. Go and do it. There's just one little final, give me one little asterisk to to put an end on this because... If you look back with me in the text, you'll see that there is actually one more command given. Do you see it? To keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I don't want to skip over that, but I want to make sure I've, I've read it to you in James's context. Because first of all, the pollution of the world. That's, all, that's another 45-minute sermon, right? You guys, we could, we could take plenty of time to fill in the blank for the world's obvious pollution. Bad habits. Sensuality, I just listed some here. Self-serving actions, pride and anger, revenge, greed and gluttony. Right, obvious, obvious. I want you to know when James wrote this, he didn't put chapter breaks in. Do you see what the very next line here is in chapter two? James says, brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Do you know what the problem was in the earliest church? They had two groups of widows. They had widows who were Jewish, and they had widows who were a little more Greek, a little more Hellenistic. The Greek and Jews. 
And so for those first believers who were all Jews, which of these two groups of widows do you think they helped the most? The kind that looked most like them or the kind that was culturally distinct from them? That was a big problem. That was a huge problem in the early church's day. I want want you to know that when James says, keep yourself from becoming polluted by the world, there's a lot could go in that blank, but do you know what the context, contextual answer that I think there is? Don't serve a widow or an orphan. Don't serve somebody in the category of affliction or hardship only if it serves you back. Don't show favoritism in that. Don't, Don't cut your own actions according to what you might reap back from it because that's acting like the world. That's showing favoritism. That is pollution. You guys tracking with me on this? Uh, uh, Don't show favoritism in your service and imitation of Jesus because that's not how Jesus did. And that's not what you and I are supposed to do either. So my my question for you is who's overlooked in your world? Interesting question, isn't it? Who is, who is the individual or the group or the, the, the person, the neighbor, the family member who has not received what you have received? They, they've had a little bit of a harder go. If you, if you can think of somebody like that, that may, that may be the person to whom God wants you to see. And then once the monkey sees it, go, go and be like Jesus. Amen? Go and be like Jesus.